Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, uh, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans. We're going to be continuing our study, What He's Done, uh, our study of the book of Romans. And if you've got a way to take notes this morning, I would encourage you to consider the opportunity you have to not just uh, hear God's Word, but to find a way uh, to really engage this morning so that you can really understand God's Word, so that you can live in light of God's Word, and hopefully all of us have a commitment to be a disciple maker, one who takes what we've received and then desires and is disciplined to, to turn around and give that, to disciple someone else and to, to God's Word. So this morning, are y'all excited? We continue our study of the book of Romans. This life-changing book that Paul wrote to the Roman church, this book that uh, proclaims, as we said in our series title, what he's done. We've been talking about uh, last week how the gospel is absolutely transformational for life with God now and forever. Uh, It's the foundation for everything. And really, God, uh, through the good news of Jesus Christ, God has great hope and power to work to change you. And I hope this morning that you'll have opportunity to know God's heart for you, His love for you, His word to you, uh, so that we can continue to understand truly what He's done and what it means for all of our life. Um, I told you last week that personally I feel excited about studying the book of Romans because this book changed my life, and I really believe it could change your life. And I just want to add to that, I didn't say this last week, but I really truly believe that, um, for instance, I was looking at some research that came out just this past week from Ligonier. They had a, a, they do every two years what's called state of theology, and they go around and they survey the country, uh, both evangelicals and also those who are not uh, believers, that are not in the evangelical church, and they ask a series of questions, and by doing that, they try to get a read on where things are in our nation, uh, inside and outside the church theologically. And the reality is, we know in our world, right? We're living in increasingly pluralistic, increasingly relativistic, increasingly skeptical world, and a world in which there's great confusion related to who God is, what sin is, what salvation is. And this morning, I hope that if you are one who is seeking answers to those questions, that you feel that we are a safe place, we can journey with us to really discover from God's Word. Our commitment to you is to just proclaim what God's Word says. But we hope this will be a safe place for you to journey with us and get answers to some of these serious questions. But the state of theology just this past week revealed that increasingly, it is true, there is more confusion inside and outside the church as to doctrines like the deity of Jesus Christ, something I just taught you from God's Word last week, or the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ, which is something we'll get to uh, pretty dominantly in weeks to come. There's huge questions about uh, what it looks like to understand not only who God is, but what God desires for us in all different kinds of spheres in life. And increasingly, more of us are, are struggling, we've learned this week, to really give biblical answers for these most important questions. And what I'm trying to say to you is I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm just so excited because by engaging in this study of Romans and in God's Word in general, we are having an opportunity to really think deeply about these things, but also to get answers, true answers about these things from the Scripture. So all that said, I'm excited. Y'all good? So last week, if you were not here, we made a lot of progress. We got through seven verses. And in those seven verses, in typical Pauline fashion, we got through one sentence. Wasn't that awesome? Um, I had one of our teachers here at ICC after the service tell me, I'm going to take that single sentence into my classroom this week with my kids and show them just how grand that is, you know? Uh, They're going to pick it apart. What a sentence, right? So last week, um, yeah, Michelle got home, or it was actually before we even got home, she said, you know, I just want to tell you, babe, it was awesome. She said, and you win the award for the most ever 
points and subpoints in any sermon from a single sentence. So you're welcome. Thank you, babe. She really meant that encouraging me because actually she knows that I was really proud of that fact, um, that we got to, to work through the word in such a great way last week. But this morning, what we're going to be doing together is we're going to be going back to the book of Romans. And this morning, if you got something to write notes, our title of today's message is Ministering the Gospel. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 15. So today we'll be talking about ministering the gospel by looking together at verses 8 through 15. I want to read through the text this morning, and then we will begin our study through it. Paul writes this to the church of Rome as he continues. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is God's word to us. Today we look at the theme ministering the gospel from verses eight through 10. I wanna start by just pointing out here in verse eight. Do y'all see this word right here? First, all right. The literal Greek word here is the word proton, all right. And we're not talking about the scientific proton here, all right? Everybody good with that? The word literally means, well, first, okay? So you go, why are you even going through this? Well, the reason is because it can mean one of two things. Either it can mean first in sequence, or it can mean first in priority. Now, I just, the only reason I'm talking about this right now is because if you read the rest of the book of Romans, you will never find him come back to a sequence. He'll never go and second and third, okay? So here, as we begin to study here in verse eight, when we see he says first, it's not like he's gonna begin making a list. Rather, what he's saying is, I've got a priority right now to help you know something about my heart and my longing for you. Even part of why I'm writing this book, I I wanna disclose something, he's talking here of great importance to you. And essentially what he begins to describe, if I had to kind of summarize uh, these verses, eight through 15, he's describing how he desires, how he longs to go and be with the church in Rome, this church that was started on the day of Pentecost, has been growing up to this point. Paul, the, the dominant, the, 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 the leading missionary for all of this part of the world, he wants to get to Rome, this leading city of over a million people where this church has been planted, and, and he wants to minister the gospel in their midst. That's kind of a summary of what these verses are all about. Now, if I had to put it in a more common language, what Paul is saying here in these verses is he's saying, I I want to make much of Jesus among you and and I want to help you believe. That's his heart. And it comes through in all the things that we're going to be looking at. It's kind of a repetition of his heart. Earlier, do you remember in verse 5 how he talks about how he's called to be an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith, right? That's helping people believe for the sake of his name. That's making much of Jesus. So in Paul's heart, he wants to exalt his Savior Jesus 
and he wants to help people believe in him, okay? And he's basically just kind of restating that in some specific ways in verses 8 through 15. Now, there's four ways. Now, we're going to go through all of these. So as I always encourage our note takers to, to remember, you don't have to write all of this down at once or else you might be angry because the slide's going to go away pretty quickly, okay? But here's what you need to know. The basic structure of how he's helping them know, I want to make much of Jesus among you. I want to help you to believe. He, he kind of has four different things that he's saying that he wants to do. Verses 8 through 10, he says, I constantly pray for you. I'm constantly praying for you. Verses 11 through 13, he says, I want to encourage you. Verse 14, he says, I choose to receive you. And then in verse 15, he basically describes, I want to help you to believe. So he's saying, I want to, I, I, I want to make much of Jesus and help you to believe. And there's a couple of things I want you to know. This is involving prayer and this is involving encouragement, and this is involving me receiving you, and this is involving me actually pointing you to Jesus, okay? That's kind of the outline of the passage. Now, um, one of the things that I need to tell you before we get into this, because you need to understand something about my expositional preaching and our philosophy of preaching here at ICC. We don't want to do malpractice in the Word of God, and I don't want you to do malpractice as you study the Word of God either. We have to be really careful always when we get to passages like verses 8 to 15 in the Bible, because there's a tension between seeing it for them versus seeing its relevancy for us. And we never just want to take something that was for them and immediately assume, well, that's for us also. So it can be tempting when you're in narrative passages or in passages where like they're historical words where he's like writing this letter and he's saying, this is my heart, it can be tempting always to try to make a connection as, for instance, in this case, as Paul did in this passage of the Bible, so we can do today. Because that's not always the case. Sometimes things are written just to provide us a record of the history, the foundation of the faith that we all share. But sometimes it is relevant for us today and we can learn from it, and we can emulate it. So the question for you is, as you're studying the Bible, as I'm preaching the Bible, you should be testing me. How do we know that we can apply, how do we know when we can apply those kinds of things to ourselves today? Well, here's how. In general, it's when those things that are being drawn out are, are repeated in other places in the Scripture. One basic rule, right, of hermeneutics is you let the Bible help you understand the Bible. So if we see something that looks like it might be relevant for us, we can test it. If we're not sure, we go, well, does, is that thing repeated in other places in the Scripture? Is it confirmed that that is just a one-time thing for that person, or is this actually something that's for all of us? And how do we know that? Let the Bible teach the Bible, right? So we go to other places in Scripture to get confirmation of if these things are also for us. Well, I got to tell you this morning that what we're going to be looking at today, all of these things that, Paul, you know, that are in Paul's heart for the church of Rome, he wants to make much of Jesus and he wants to lead them to faith. He wants to help them to believe. All of these things are also confirmed in other places in the Bible as not just something for Paul to the church of Rome, but also for all of us who are believers in Christ for others who are also in believers in Christ. So this morning, as we look through Paul's heart and his words, we also are going to be hearing God's heart for what he wants in our hearts. And I'll show you as you go that these things are confirmed in other places in Scripture, but these are things that God wants to work in your heart, especially as it relates to building your heart of love to be a ministry, to have a ministry in the lives of other people. So, as we go through this, Paul's personal longing here actually turns into our personal longing here, okay? This should be our passion and purpose in life. I should want to make much of Jesus, and I should want to help people believe. So, 
I'll give you our main point this morning, and then we'll start going through the text. All right? Y'all excited? So the main point this morning, if you haven't gotten it already, I'm going to say it for the fifth time now. Are y'all ready? We are invited to live with intentionality to what? Y'all read it with me. To make much of Jesus and what? To help people believe. Can y'all say this with me? We are invited to live with intentionality to make much of Jesus and to help people believe. I was a little disappointed you didn't do my hand motions, but I think you guys got it. So we're going to turn these desires that Paul had, how he wanted to minister in specific ways, those four things, into some instructions for us. And we'll go through these one by one, so don't worry. But as we go through the passage today, we're going to see God's heart and call upon our lives to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to receive one another, and to gospel one another. All of these are straight out of the text. I don't have to invent sermons. I just have to look at God's word and preach to you what he has given to all of us. So we're going to start with verses 8 through 10, and we're going to look at God's, I mean, uh, Paul's heart here when he says, I constantly pray for you. Verses 8 through 10, I'll reread just those three verses. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul saying, I constantly pray for you. And our instruction, we're going to learn from this, is to pray for one another. Okay? The question that we are asking here is, how did Paul, how did Paul pray for others? And how can I pray for others? Okay? So we're going to be looking at this for what was Paul talking about here. It's, it's, it's actually a gift to know something more than just what Paul prayed. He's actually helping us to know how he prayed. And from that, we can learn how we can pray. Because I believe everybody here today, I believe you, have a heart to know God's heart. And have a heart to be open to allowing your heart to be shaped by God's heart. And God's heart is for your heart to be a heart of prayer, desperate dependence on him. Well, the first way we can answer that question is you see here, he says, I want you to know that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, okay? So the first thing that we know is right out the gate, Paul's saying, I want to, you to know that when I pray for you, I am thankful the Greek word here, very interesting, is eucharisto. Okay? For some of you, that may sound familiar because it's where we as a church, some churches call the Lord's Supper, right, the Eucharist. So it's a word that's used to describe the celebration of God and what God has done. Now what's interesting is, at the Lord's Supper, we are called to have profound thanksgiving to God for our hearts to be deeply grateful. Now what Paul is saying is interesting. He's not only deeply grateful for God and Jesus Christ, although he names. He's praying to God through Jesus Christ. That's in his view, and it should be in our view too in all of our prayers. But he's saying, there's something else that I need you to know that I'm deeply, Eucharisto, I'm deeply thankful for. And that is for you. So, if you want to learn how to pray for others, the first thing you've got to do is realize that part of praying for others looks like praying in gratitude. Another way we could say this is praying with, with thanksgiving. And specifically, what we see here is that what is his gratitude for? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for what? There's two things. One is this phrase, for all of you. And the second is here, and he says, because your faith. And he begins to talk about how it's proclaimed in all the world. So he's, it's not just being grateful. The, the gratitude has a direction, and the direction is twofold. 
One is it's for them, who they are. He's just grateful for them. But secondly, he's also saying, I am grateful for God's work in your lives. Now, you got to remember how when he says here that your faith is being proclaimed in all the world, in first century, people were basically talking about all of the known world. In Paul's mind, this would have been the Mediterranean world, okay? If you wonder how the Bible can be true, and yet, you know, are you saying Native Americans in a, here in North America actually heard about the, the faith of those who are in Rome? That's not necessarily what the Scripture is saying. Paul's saying to his knowledge, the world that he knew, he knew that the, the word of their faith was spreading everywhere. So what he's saying here is I am deeply grateful when I pray. I am deeply grateful for you and for what I see God doing in your life. Now, this is confirmed in so many other places. You go to 1 Corinthians 1.4, and we see this same pattern. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1.3, Paul says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. And Colossians 1, verse 3, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The point is, he's saying, man, every time I pray, I'm thankful. Gratitude is one of the things that God works in our hearts, you guys, when we become saved. You notice proud people don't give thanks very often. Only humble people do. And one of the things, one of the chief characteristics of one who really knows Jesus and walks with the Lord is when you go to God, most of your time will be spent just saying, thank you, God. I'm so grateful. I know that I don't have anything apart from what you give. And God, I just want to lead off today and just say, thank you. Jesus teaches us to pray this way with our, with our attention first toward God, who he is and all that he's done. And one of the things that happens is, it's not only a direction to, to thank God, but a direction to thank God for other people. Um, I, I wonder how often in our lives do we actually regularly thank God for other people? How often? Do you actually in your prayer life spend time just saying, God, I want to thank you for, maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's another person like your community group leader or some other believer that's helping to disciple you. Maybe it's somebody that they don't even know, but you've been watching them. They're an example for you in faith. Maybe it's someone that you're just really encouraged by. You've seen faith take root in their heart. They're pursuing Christ. They're moving toward him. And, and you just want to say, God, I want to thank you for what you're doing in their life. Part of growing as a believer is growing in deep appreciation for God and what God's doing. And Paul says, as I think about you, I just want you to know that in my personal time with God, I've not stopped saying thank you to God. Sometimes we take each other for granted, don't we? Sometimes we, we forget what a gift we are in one another's lives. The, just the reality that there are other people in our life who know Jesus and who are pursuing Jesus and God is presently at work in their lives. Listen, we don't need to take one another for granted. We need to stop and just in our prayer time regularly include a moment to say thank you. By the way, before I move on from this, have y'all seen the Mr. Rogers documentary? Um, this might seem a really odd fit for this moment. Why am I talking about Mr. Rogers? Watch the end of the documentary. It's, I think it's called, I've got it written here, Won't You Be My Neighbor, okay? There's a certain section at the end of the documentary that literally made me cry because he play, they play a clip from 2002, commencement address, Dartmouth College, Mr. Rogers stands up and he says, I'd like to give you all an invisible gift. A gift of a silent minute to think about those who have helped you to become who you are today. 
Some of them may be here right now. Some of them may be in heaven. But wherever they are, if they've loved you and encouraged you and wanted what was best in life for you, take this time, this quiet time, to devote some thought to them. And man, oh man, I sat there at the end of that documentary and just cried because it is not often that I stop in remembrance all those in my life who have made a difference, who I'm deeply thankful for, all of those who I get to be a part of what God is doing and making a difference in their life, and just to stop and remember without work and just a mo- moment of praise, just to say thank you. That's part of what Paul's doing. Secondly, as Paul continues, he helps us to know that not only is he thankful, but he says, for God is my witness, who I serve with my spirit. So he's reminding us that he's a servant of God, not man. He serves from his heart. But he says here that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. And then he notes here asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What he's saying here is that not only is gratitude a part of how he's praying for them, but intercession is a part of how he's praying for them. He's pleading for them. He's actually naming some specific things for them. He's going to God and he's saying, God, I want to thank you for them, but I, God, I also want to ask this for them. I want to come on their behalf to you, God, and I want to ask these specific things in their hearts and in their lives, and I also want to ask God that you make it possible for me to get to them. Um, what's so amazing here is, so Paul talks later about how he had constantly been wanting to get to Rome, right? And yet he had not had the opportunity to get there yet. But here's the thing. Paul did not let his ability or his inability to get there physically stop him from participating in what God was doing in their lives. Sometimes we feel, I'm afraid, paralyzed when we ourselves can't step in and be the hero or when we ourselves can't step in and be the helper or we ourselves feel like we can't get to the people that we love or get to the the need that's present or get to the root cause of whatever's going on, and we get frustrated by our own inability. But what Paul is helping us realize here is that sometimes that inability could be a gift because it actually forces us into prayer to depend not on our ability, but on God's ability to work in that situation or in that person's heart, in that person's life. See, we can participate in one another's lives through prayer, no matter where we are physically. It's one of the most amazing things that happens when we become a believer is we get filled with the Holy Spirit and we can intimately converse with God and He hears us and responds to us as we pray. So one of the things that Paul's helping us see is that we have the opportunity, truly. He's saying, even though I haven't been able to get to you, I want you to know that I've been praying for you. And I want you to know that I think some of the things happening in your life are happening because of what I've been praying. Genesis chapter 19, one of my favorite stories about intercession in the Bible, Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, is a story of Abraham as he interceded for Lot. I don't have time to reteach this story. I've taught it many times here at ICC, but one of the things we realize is that Abraham was separated from Lot. His nephew was in trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham went and prayed for his nephew again and again and again. And one of the things that we learn is in Genesis 19, verse 29, it says, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Did Abraham do anything to get Lot rescued? Well, physically, no. He couldn't go in. He couldn't do anything about it. But spiritually, yes. Lot was rescued because Abraham prayed. And I wonder how many lots in our lives can be rescued because we pray. 
Who are the people in your life that you could regularly plead to God for them? And this is something that you do. I could tell you story after story in my life of, of, of things that happened, and then later I found out, did you know I was praying for that? Somebody else was praying for me. I could tell you story after story of things that have happened in other people's lives that they didn't even know uh, that I was involved in, but it was because I was one part of, of just praying for them. God works in other people's lives as we pray. And one of the things that God wants you to do is to grow in a heart of dependence upon Him and learn to regularly pray for Him. Who are you interceding for? I know that some of us are frustrated by our inability, but God doesn't have those same limits, those same boundaries, those same barriers. God is able more than you ever could ask, think, or imagine. Do you trust Him? And will you choose with other people in your life, your first opportunity with any other person in your life that you love and care for is to pray for them. Before you do a thing, ask God to do His thing. Amen? Next, and this is last as we talk about prayer. We see that Paul is not only grateful in his prayers, he's not only pleading with God in his prayers, but we see something else. He says here, I'm, I'm asking for these things in my prayers, asking. But notice here this phrase, that by God's will. Y'all see that? He's saying, I'm asking for these things. I'm begging God for these things. But I need you to know something else. The third thing that we see in the way that Paul's praying for others is that he surrendered. I need you to know, another way to say this would be, I am submitted to God. I need you to know that even though my heart is poured out in gratitude for you, and even though my heart is poured out saying, oh God, would you do this and would you bring us together? I need you to know that at the end of the day, it's not up to my will, it's up to God and I trust him. He's saying, I'm surrendered to him. He's been wanting to go to Rome, most important place for gospel strategy probably among that whole region. But he's saying, but I trust in the sovereign hand of God. At the end of the day, just like Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, verse 10, he's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus teaching us there? He's teaching us that as we pray, we've got to pray and surrender. We've got to learn to pray with our hands open. We have to learn to leave things in the hand of God. I, I wonder as you pray for other people, do you really surrender them? And do you really surrender control into God's hands? I know right now for us, we have two little girls. I could not love them more. But we're in a season of life where, and each season is different. If you're a parent, you understand this. Each season is different. Of the things that you believe are going on in your kid's mind and in their heart and their circumstances. And there's things you so desperately want for them and for their life. And you come into contact with your own inability and it's so frustrating as a parent because you want something and you can't do it and that leads you to plea and to pray. But then there's a question of, do I really trust God enough with Caroline and with Emma to really turn them over, to like completely let go of my control in their life and to trust God's control? Oh, I'm praying for this, but at the end of the day, do I really have the faith to let it go, to really surrender it? And one of the things that God wants to work in your heart and in my heart as we pray for others with gratitude and with pleas is to learn to also pray in submission. Well, he says in these verses, I constantly pray for you. And one of the things that I'm trying to tell you, if you want to be a minister of the gospel, one of the things that you have to learn to do is to become a person of greater prayer. It is part of ministry. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but I've heard the quote before. Sometimes there's too much working before man and too little waiting before God. I really believe sometimes when we think about ministry in the lives of other people, 
whether it's a friendship, whether it's your family, whether it's your community group, whether it's in your workplace or in this community or among the nations, that we only think of ministry as work that needs to be done. In other words, I got to get my hands busy with something. But the true work begins not when we put our hands to something, but when we go to God and say, God, before I do anything, I know I'm dependent on you doing something here. The best work is the work of waiting for God to work. So I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a meaningful purpose and passion in life to minister in the gospel, one of the things you've got to say to God is, God, would you grow my prayer? Would you grow my life of prayer? Because no matter how much I preach here on Sunday morning, no matter if that's me, for you, what is your activity? No matter how much it is that you do in ministry, if God doesn't work, then our work is in vain. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. So the first work is what? The work of prayer. Secondly, Paul says in verses 11 to 13, he says, not only do I constantly pray for you, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. We'll read these verses and then we'll look at them together. In verse 11, he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul says here, I want to encourage you in the direct application for us here is that if we want to be effective in gospel ministry, not only do we need to learn to pray for one another, but secondly, we need to learn to encourage one another. So the question is, how did Paul seek to encourage others as we see in this passage? And how can I? Well, one of the first things that I want to point your attention to is how he says, for I long to do what? To see you. Y'all see that? And then over in verse, uh-oh. Just a second, I'll get it back. I believe this is right. There it is. Over in verse 13, what we see is he says, I have often intended what? To come to you. So if you want to learn to encourage others, one of the first things you can learn is to seek to be together. It's to actually make an effort to, to show up. He states clearly, I, I want to see you. And he's saying this over and over so that they know that his heart to be with them is not just a flippant thing. It's not a casual thing. We know from Scripture, Hebrews 10, verses 24, 25, for instance, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. This phrase, the most important of the verse that I want to highlight, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the most basic principles, if you want to have a good gospel ministry. You got to learn to pray. You got to learn to encourage. But if you want to learn to encourage, one of the things you got to do is you got to show up. You got to show up in people's lives. It could be a text message. It could be a phone call. It could be showing up at somebody's door, at their porch, or in their workplace. It could be saying, hey, let's grab a coffee before we go to work this morning. It could be showing up at community group. And it certainly, here in Hebrews, means not neglecting to show up for Sunday worship. What he's saying is, some of encouragement is just getting around each other, just learning to show up and to be together, to intentionally pursue one another in love, to actually seek to be together. And, and I just ask, it's a simple point, but how can you actively move toward others to encourage them? Who are the people in your life <clears throat> that go, well, he sounds kind of like Paul. He's always saying, I want to see you. I want to hang out. You know how eagerly I want to be with you? Who are those people that would say that about you? That you are pursuing? People that you're going after 
that you're trying to be around for the purpose of encouragement. Secondly, Paul not only says, should we seek to be together, but he also secondly references this. He says, I long to see you, and then there's a that. He's helping us know part of what he wants to do when we get together is what? To impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So the second thing that we see here is not only could we seek to be together, but we have to share our spiritual gifts when we're with one another. To share our spiritual gifts when we're with one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 states this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, he's saying, do you have a gift? Has God given you a gift? part of himself, then understand that you've been given this gift, not just for yourself, but you've been given it for others. And one of the things that God wants for you is to learn how to take your gift and to share it with another. First Corinthians chapter 12 is probably the most common place that we look for understanding of the spiritual gifts. Paul says to the church of Corinth, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for what? The common good. To one is given through the spirit utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many members, many parts, but one body. Why is this so important? Because here, if you can get this, then you can understand something about what I'm trying to say about the ministry of encouragement, okay? So listen. God says, I have poured out my spirit upon the church, upon the body of Christ. My fullness I have unleashed to the local church. But the way that you can experience all of me is in coming together, each of you, as individual members, into this one body so that you can experience the fullness of who I am. Because none of you have the fullness of my gifts. None of you display me fully and perfectly. But when you get together, there's this thing that happens. Suddenly, the ear can start to see, and suddenly, the eye can begin to smell. Individually, you couldn't do all of that, but together, there's an opportunity to experience my fullness. So get together, be one, encourage one another by sharing of the spiritual gifts that I have given you. Because in sharing of those gifts, you are sharing me to others in ways that they need to know me, in ways that they need to experience me. Some of y'all can attest to times in your life where you have been greatly blessed sitting in a circle listening to someone who has the gift of faith pray. Y'all ever been in a prayer group with somebody who has the gift of faith and suddenly you're like, I don't think I'm gonna pray because I feel like a baby right now. You ever, anybody? care to admit that. Okay. It is a blessing to have someone who's gifted with the gift of faith or the gift of deep insight to God or wisdom come alongside of you in time of need and pray over you. And suddenly they start believing the Lord for things that in that moment, you don't even have the faith to believe. You don't even have the insight to understand. And suddenly things open up in your heart or in your mind and in your life because of that gift being shared. Others of you have gone into someone's home with the gift of hospitality. And you go, oh my gosh, I never want to let anybody in my home. Because they just do it so well. Anybody ever done that? What a blessing 
that there are people in our church that open their homes to community groups and functions who have that calling and gift. They got a smile on their face when you come in and they got a smile on their face when they leave and you're like, for crying out loud, how do they do it? It's not that they're some superhuman, they're gifted by God to extend to you a part of God's heart and that is a heart of welcome. What a blessing to have people in our lives that are gifted in things that we're not gifted at. Can I get a witness or do I need to keep preaching? What I'm saying is, you have a gift and others have a gift and we have to learn to encourage one another by not being stingy with what God has given us, but sharing and serving one another, believing that as we do that, we are part of God's work in another person's life. Amen? That's what I'm trying to say. How are you serving others with your spiritual gifts? How are you serving others with your spiritual gifts? I would encourage you and implore you to recognize the beauty of just opening your heart and life to others, to give them not what comes from yourself, but truly what comes from God. The last thing I want to show you here in this section of encouragement of what Paul is saying, he says that is, he goes back here, he's going to explain something, that we may be, and then he uses here, mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, that we may reap some harvest, he goes on to say, among you. The last thing I just want to point your attention to, this is not very long, is just the call not only to seek to be together, to share your spiritual gifts, but the call to strengthen each other in the Lord, to strengthen each other in the Lord. We need one another. Can y'all look at your neighbor real quick and just say, I need you. Yeah. Now look at your neighbor and I want you to say this. It's going to be a little awkward. You need me. Okay. All right. All right now. Some of y'all got a little too excited about that. Especially those of y'all who are dating. You're like, you need me, baby. You know, so... I apologize for that awkward moment from your pastor. But the thing is, we need other believers and other believers need us. Over and over in the scripture, like in Romans chapter 15, verses one and two says, Paul says this later in the book of Romans, we'll come back to it. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. In other words, don't be a self-centered person. You wanna go and grow in Christ's likeness, grow in learning to live, not just for yourself, but for others. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build, here it is, to build him up, mutually encouraged by one another's faith. First Thessalonians, this kind of theme is repeated, 5.11, therefore encourage one another, and what does it say? Build one another up, just as you're doing. One of my favorite passages that I teach almost annually around community is from 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, because even David, the king of Israel, needed someone in his life to be an encourager. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with Christ. I don't care what position you have. You need people to encourage you. And you need to be one who encourages other people. Jonathan got up and went to David at Haresh, and what did he do? He built him up. Now the question is, how do we build people up? Oh, you're so great. You're so good. You can do it. I just love you. You got what it takes. Nope. That is self-help. To build people up, we strengthen in this way. We put their hands in God's hands. To build people up, we say, look to God. Look to God. Find your strength in God. He's enough. We take their hands and we don't put them in our hands or their own hands. We put them into God's hands. And by doing so, friends, we can strengthen one another. My question to you is who are you building up? Who are you building up? God's call. If you want to have a ministry, you got to learn how to pray. You got to learn how to encourage. And learning to encourage looks like these three things. Pursuing people, sharing your gifts with people, and strengthening them. And the question I'm asking is, who are you strengthening? God has called you to build one another up, and this is an area we can all grow. Well, 
In the first two sections of this, this heart that Paul's sharing, we've, we've heard he has a heart to minister the gospel. He wants to pray. He wants to encourage. And we're called to both prayer and encouragement. But third, he says, I choose to receive you. I choose to receive you. Verse 14. What I want to call your attention to here, we'll read it and then we'll, we'll walk through it. But he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, the way I've paraphrased this is I choose to receive you. And my exhortation to you from this on the basis of other scriptures that confirm this is you are called, if you want to be effective in gospel ministry, to receive one another. Now, I'll go back to the text because we've got to ask a question. Well, what are you talking about receiving one another? I don't understand that from this verse. How did, what are you saying? How did Paul choose to receive others and, and how can, can I do that? One of the things you've got to know is from the beginning, and I told you this, and it'll extend through the rest of this book, there is this missional thrust all through the book. For the sake of his name among the nations. Hear what we're talking about, this Greek phrase, pontita ethne, among all the people. This is the great commission. We all know Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples among all the nations. Paul is saying, I've got in my view and in my heart a desire for all peoples. Okay, now we get to verse 14 and we're getting more specifics of what is in Paul's heart. How has the gospel so transformed him from the inside out to be different than the man he was before? How has Jesus and what Jesus has done completely changed the framework of his thinking, the framework of his living, the framework of his relating to other people? And here he says, I'm under obligation to Greeks, barbarians, wise, and foolish. Now, this word right here, I'm gonna to have to read it from my notes because I can't possibly remember how to spell this. I can tell you how to say it. There's no need to write it down unless you just enjoy that kind of thing. Aphiletes. Now, the word basically means this, indebted. Now, what you know is there are two ways to think about being indebted. One is to think about how somebody has given you, let's say, $1,000, and you're indebted to them until you pay that back. Another way, though, would be a different sense of indebted. Let's say someone has given you $1,000 and they've said, we want you to give that to someone else. And then, in that sense, you are indebted until you pass it on. Y'all ever seen the Starbucks thing that's gotten started? Somebody starts paying a drink. Some of y'all who used to work at Starbucks are going, don't even get me started. What a hot mess that is. But the, the pass it on mentality. What Paul is talking about here is the second. He's talking about how he has been given the stewardship of this ministry, and he's been called to pass it on. God has shared freely of himself with Paul, and Paul is saying, I am sharing freely of myself with others. So as God has shared himself with me, I am indebted to pass it on. I am indebted to emulate the life of my Savior, my Redeemer, who shared himself with the world without discrimination. He is a Savior for all people without discrimination. He didn't come for a particular race or class, ethnic group, status level, neighborhood, geopolitical country, positional power, education, resume, etc. He didn't come for this neighborhood and not that neighborhood, this side of the tracks and not that side of the track. He came for all equally. He is the savior of all peoples. Anyone who repents of their sin and puts their trust in Christ can be saved. Aren't you grateful for a savior of all people? He shared himself with the world 
And Paul says, I am indebted. If he has so shared himself with me, then I now so share myself with others. So who are we to receive? What you see here, he's under this obligation, and he mentions Greeks and barbarians. Bar, 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 bar. He's a bit, essentially, it's kind of funny, but it's not funny. But the word literally kind of comes from that. It's literally like, I, I, when I go to Rome, like, I need you to know that, like, I'm not coming for high-educated philosophical thinkers only. Yes, I'm coming for them, but I'm also coming for people who have not even got their GED. I'm coming for the elementary and middle school dropouts. I'm coming from, for high white-collar workers, and I'm coming for blue-collar workers. I'm coming to the wise, he says, and to the foolish. The way I would describe this is he's saying, I'm coming for everyone, and I'm coming everywhere. And it does not matter their background. I'm coming for everyone, and I'm coming all over. We see this consistently in the scriptures. The call to love all people equally. John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you to love as I have loved you. How has he loved us? Has he loved us discriminately? No. He's loved us unconditionally. For any who repent and put their faith in Christ, it is available to all. Acts 10, this incredible moment in the New Testament when the gospel comes to Peter. See, the Jewish people thought it was just for their ethnic group, just for their race. They were absolutely racist until this moment where all of a sudden God shows up to Peter in a dream and he's basically going, hey, 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 yo, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. Don't you be racist. Don't you go judging other races or ethnic groups just because they're not like you. Don't think less of them. I, I, this gospel is for all. And Peter eventually gets it and he opens his mouth here in 34, 35 and he says, truly, I understand it now. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, for all people, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 1 Corinthians 12, from the passage we read just a bit ago, verse 13, he talks about how in one spirit we're baptized into one body, and there's no classes in this body or races in this body. This is Jews and Greeks and slaves and free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 3.28 describes how there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul is so deeply offended by Peter's behavior in chapter 2, verse 14, because he looks at their life and goes, yo, that's out of step with the gospel. Racism, classism, Judgment on the basis of anything other than relationship with Christ is out of step with the gospel, and he calls Peter to it. And that's why in James chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're doing well. But if you go showing partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, this is not who Jesus is, and this is not what Jesus calls for us to be. So, my question to you is, as we think about Paul, transformed man, saying, I'm no longer coming for a certain group. I'm coming for all. I wonder, do you have that same pass it on heart? As the way God has shared himself with you, do you feel called to share yourself with others? And secondly, do you struggle in any way? And all of us do in different ways. What kind of struggle do you have in terms of receiving other people? And how could you give more of your heart to Jesus so that your heart could reflect his heart? If you want to be an effective minister in the gospel, you got to learn to pray. You got to learn to encourage. You got to learn to open your heart and life to all people. You got to learn to receive. And last but not least, I close this morning by pointing you to the final verse 
in Paul's final piece of his heart expressed when he says, I want to help you believe. I want to help you believe. He says in verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to help you believe. Our exhortation that we're going to close with this morning is we got to learn not only to pray for one another, encourage one another, receive one another, but last but not least, we got to learn to gospel one another. To learn to gospel one another. And you might go, well, that's kind of odd. Um, What do you mean gospel one another? Well, how did Paul help other people believe? Well, he did it. He talked about how he passed it on in terms of the way of his life receiving all, but secondly here, he passes it on not only with sharing his life, but also sharing the gospel. If you want to learn to help other people believe, you have to. You have to learn to be a herald of good news. You remember last week we talked about what the gospel means? It means a proclamation of good news, right? Good news, good news. Well, we have to learn to constantly be gospeling other people. And you go, well, who is the gospel for? Well, first of all, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to who? You also who are in Rome. Now, interestingly, who, is the, who, are, who was he writing to? We learned in verse 7, to you who are in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, who have been given grace and peace. This is believers. So the first thing we learn is that the gospel is needed for the saved. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. In other words, the gospel is for all of us. We never, ever, ever grow out of our need to hear the good news of Jesus. So Paul is saying, one of the things I want to do is I want to proclaim to you the good news of Jesus. I want to keep talking to you about Jesus. I want to lift him high. I want to make much of Jesus and help you believe. And I'm talking to you, believers. But secondly, we know that the gospel is not only for the saved, it's also for another group. Because in verse 13, he says, I want to reap some harvest among who? You first, as well as who? The rest of the Gentiles. He talks here earlier about how he wants to bring about faith among the nations. So it's not just for the saved, but it's also for the lost. He is saying, you better believe it. (laughs) I want to live so that people who have not heard of the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, I want them to hear it. I want to live with a passion to get people connected to God by believing upon Jesus because that is the way, the truth, the life. It's Jesus. He's everything. And I want people who are far to come near. I want to be a light so people can find their way home. So in other words, he's saying the gospel is for everyone. With the saved, you encourage with the gospel. And with the lost, we evangelize with the gospel. We are gospeling people. We gospel, 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 and encouragement and gospel and evangelism. Our whole lives are gospel, gospel, gospel. And my question to you as we close is, will you live with such a passion? Next week, oh, we're going to be only looking at two verses. Get excited. Just two verses next week. And I'm going to be proclaiming to you the theme, the thesis of this whole book. You're going to hear the gospel But right now, I want you to go ahead in your heart and commit. Will you be one who edifies and wins people with the short life that you have? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. With the short life you have, will you embrace a ministry of the gospel to not only be founded in it, but to be transformed by it and after being transformed by it to spread a passion for Jesus Will you encourage people toward Jesus? Will you edify them and win them toward Jesus? The world is lost and needs Jesus. And you and I need to be people who are committed, radically committed to gospel one another until the day that we die. Make much of Jesus, Paul says. 
help other people believe. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you, he says. I want to receive you. I want to help you believe. I told you at the start this morning, you are invited to live with intentionality, to make much of Jesus, and to help other people believe. Can you all do the hand motions with me? To make much of Jesus and to help other people believe. If you can walk away today remembering your invitation to live in this kind of way, then I believe you're at the beginning point of an incredible life of joy and impact. I want to encourage you to keep putting your yes on the table, to be one who learns greater and greater degrees of prayer, encouragement, receiving, and the gospel. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that as it has been expounded this morning, I pray that you will bless. I pray, God, that these things will take root, that we will believe these things are true and real because it's truly what you have spoken. God, this is your heart for us and your heart for others. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be people who are eager to make much of you and to help other people believe. Lord, in the areas where you have touched our heart today, Lord, I pray that we would be surrendered to you and that we would be a praying people, an encouraging people, a receiving people, and Lord, a gospel people for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.